So, ancient Greek philosophers, such as uh, Aristotle here, thought that the universe was infinitely old and thus had no beginning. During late antiquity and the medieval period, many theistic thinkers broke with that intellectual tradition on both theological and philosophical grounds. For example, the famous 12th century medieval Muslim philosopher Al-Ghazi argued that the, the very idea, the very concept of actual infinities entailed various absurdities such that the, the concept didn't make sense uh, and that therefore the past must actually be finite rather than actually infinite which means that the universe must therefore have had a beginning. Al-Ghazi made the finitude of the past a premise and an argument for the existence of God which is known today as the Kalam cosmological argument. Kalam is an uh, Islamic word that meant um, speech. It was kind of the, the term for the tradition of natural theology uh, in Islam. So this uh, quote here from Al-Ghazi who argued that every being which begins has a cause for its beginning. Now the world is a being which begins on the basis of his argument that the very idea of an actually infinite past makes no sense. So the past must be finite. So the universe had a beginning from which he then draws the conclusion that therefore the world, the universe, it possesses a cause for its beginning. So there's a cause for the beginning of the universe and thus a cause outside of the universe. And you can see that that starts to sound at least a little bit like what theists mean by saying God. Belief in a universe with no beginning became fashionable again in the 18th century, due in part, at least, to the influence of the German philosopher Immanuel Kant. As philosopher of science Stephen Mayer observes, few physicists or astronomers at the beginning of the 20th century doubted the infinite age of the universe. In 1927, the Belgian cosmologist and Catholic priest George Lemaitre combined Einstein's theory of gravity with the observation of a Doppler shift in the light from progressively distant galaxies to formulate what would come to be known as the Big Bang theory. Big Bang was actually a disparaging label given to it by people who didn't like the theory, but it, it kind of stuck as a label. <laughs> the Big Bang theory of the origins of the universe. Now, Big Bang cosmology has developed over the years, since the 1920s, but the basic picture of a universe with a beginning a finite time ago 
has been the scientific consensus since particularly the 1965 discovery of the cosmic background radiation left over from the Big Bang. When the universe was a lot smaller, it was much hotter, uh, and you can detect that today in the microwave uh, wavelength uh, of energy. And that was something predicted by the Big Bang model and then confirmed experimentally uh, in 65 and mapped with progressive detail by a series of uh, satellites from COBE through to Planck in the uh, 2013's Planck satellite. So to quote from New Scientist magazine, uh, this is from a 2012 article, the Big Bang is now part of the furniture of modern cosmology. It now seems certain that the universe did have a beginning. Without an escape clause, physicists and philosophers must finally answer a problem that has been nagging at them for the best part of 50 years. How do you get a universe complete with the laws of physics out of nothing. Now it's important to note that Big Bang cosmology describes the, the evolution of the universe, that is the change over time of the universe, from a very hot, very dense state a finite time ago to a much bigger less hot, less dense state today. So it describes that evolution. But Big Bang cosmology does not say anything about what brought the universe into existence, as it were. It's a quote uh, from Marcus Chown. That is, Big Bang cosmology offers a description of the cosmic past as being finite in extent. It doesn't offer an explanation of that finite cosmic past. And I often used to meet uh, 16, 17 year old students in schools when I used to go into uh, schools doing school conferences on this kind of material and meet students who would say things like, oh, you uh, can't believe in God these days, you know, science has explained everything, uh, we know why the universe is here because of Big Bang. As if Big Bang was somehow a sort of alternative to believing in a creator. Because they, they have this idea that the Big Bang theory is an explanation for the existence of the universe. But it's not. It's just a description of the past of the universe. A description that I think very poignantly raises the question of how do you explain the universe, as that previous quote from New Scientist made clear. The atheist philosopher of science, Bradley Monton, we quoted him yesterday, he says... If the universe had a beginning, then that lends support to the clam cosmological argument, kind of revives that argument. And uh, it was particularly the American Christian philosopher William Lane Craig, who in the late 70s did his first PhD, there's not too many people you can say that phrase of, his first PhD on, uh, in philosophy on this issue of the clam cosmological argument and marrying that with modern cosmological data. So he looked at 
both the kind of philosophical arguments against an infinite past that Al-Ghazi would have used, but then married it with looking at, at con contemporary Big Bang cosmology as empirical scientific support for that first premise of the Kalam cosmological argument. Here's a quote from atheist Nobel laureate in physics Stephen Weinberg. He says, the Big Bang theory is as certain as anything in science. I suppose nothing in science is ever mathematically certain, like 2 plus 2 equals 4, but it's the kind of certainty that simply makes it not worthwhile considering alternatives. And the atheist cosmologist Alexander Vilenkin uh, said, uh, the answer to the question, did the universe have a beginning, is it probably did. We have no viable models of an eternal universe. So, we can build that scientific theory into a Kalam argument for God. And let me share with you the way in which I would put such an argument. Premise one, truth claim number one. There was probably a first physical event. If you think of the history of the universe as a series of physical events, however you want to kind of divide it up, there being a beginning, there being a finite history, means that there would be a first such physical event. Second premise, second truth claim. Every physical event has at least one cause, at least in a very general sense, outside of itself. Now, if both of those truth claims, both of those premises are true, it follows deductively that something else must be true. You might be ahead of me here. But I just want to note uh, you can give a, a subsidiary argument for this second premise. You might think, why believe that every physical event has at least one cause outside of itself? So here's an argument for that, and then we'll see whether you are right about the, uh, what you would deduce from those two premises. So think of this. Anything that's um, contingent or dependent for its existence on something else has at least one cause outside of itself. Premise two, physical events are contingent or and or dependent realities. Um, it seems like there could not be any physical things at all. That seems a possibility. Um, the fact that there are seems to be contingent. Now, if those are both true, then it would follow that every physical event has at least one cause outside of itself, which was our second premise, from which it would follow that Therefore, there was probably, note that probably has been carried forward from the first premise, there was probably a first physical event with at least one cause, in a very general sense, outside of itself. But remember, we're talking about the first physical event of, of the universe. Whether you want to say that's the, 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 the existence of physical things happening over the period of a second. 
in the number of seconds in the universe or Planck times in the history of the universe or what, however you want to divide it up. Now, as atheist Raymond Tallis, and again we quoted him a couple of times yesterday, says, recent attempts to explain how the universe came out of nothing, that they're not being a cause of the universe. Attempts which rely on questionable notions such as spontaneous fluctuations in a quantum vacuum, which is not nothing. It's a quantum vacuum with, you can describe it, and it's not nothing, right? The notion of gravity as negative energy and the, the inexplicable free gift of the laws of nature, kind of waiting in the wings for the moment of creation, reveal conceptual confusion beneath mathematical sophistication. So, here's a kind of uh, second stage continuing on this argument we've got to that conclusion that, the, you know, that there was probably a first physical event. Every physical event has at least one cause outside of itself. Therefore, there was probably a first physical event with at least one cause outside of itself. Now we add in a new bit of information. Premise four. Any first physical event must have a non-physical cause. Can't say, what was the cause of the first physical event? Oh, it was the previous physical cause. So that statement doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> if there is a cause, by definition, it has to be a non-physical cause. Conclusion. Therefore, there was probably a first physical event with a non-physical cause. If that argument is a good one, if it's sound, that is, if all the premises are jointly more likely true than not, and all of the, the kind of con conclusions, the bits where we, we draw a conclusion from those premises are kind of validly drawn, this, at the very least, shows that naturalism and materialism as a worldview is wrong. And it also starts to sound suspiciously like some kind of theism, right? Some kind of non-physical cause that brought the whole universe into existence. Hmm, who's always believed in something like that, you know? Let me put it this way with a lovely illustration that I often use that comes from the, the Catholic philosopher Richard Pertill. I like these kind of um, concrete illustrations to get your, your mind around these ideas. Suppose I ask you to loan me a book like my most recent book, A Universe from Someone, a collection of papers on arguments for the existence of God. I ask you to loan me a book, but you say, oh, I don't have a copy right now, but I'll ask my friend to lend me his copy, and then I'll lend it to you. Okay? But suppose your friend says exactly the same thing to you, and so on, ad infinitum, uh, to infinity, as the Latin phrase goes. Surely two things should be clear. First, 
if the process of asking to borrow the book goes on ad infinitum, then I'll never get the book from that process. Secondly, therefore, if I do get the book from the process, the process that led to me getting it can't have been one that went on ad infinitum. That is, somewhere down the line of requests to borrow the book, someone had the book without having to borrow it from someone. Okay. Now, in this illustration, receiving the book is receiving existence, being caused. Okay. So this lies somewhere down the line of receiving existence, something had to have existence without having to get it from somewhere else. Right? Because that process of causation can't have gone on ad infinitum. It must be finite. See the application. Likewise, argues Richard Pertell, consider any contingent or dependent reality, such as any physical event, I would say.